It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from 670 Scores, the Bowling Haw Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune after a long day at Howell's Hall where a lot happened. Luke Getze fired. Matt Eberflus coming back. Kevin Warren, the Bears president, spoke to reporters for probably a half hour or more. It was a lot of talking at Howell's Hall, Dan. It's been a long day. This is the third time we have talked on different forums <laughs> and platforms. In the morning on the Mullion Haw Show, at in wow. 6 o'clock on Football Night in Chicago and NBC Sports Chicago, and now here on our Take the North podcast. How uh, how grueling was the day to get through all the talking? And what was the biggest takeaway in your mind? Well, first and foremost, it's about 8.07 on, on Wednesday night right now that we're talking. And you just brought up the hit on Wednesday morning on Mullion Hall. And my brain, that was yesterday. Honestly, yeah. literally, when you said that, I was like, wait, that was today? Yep. Because this was a day that had stages to it. You get the news early on Wednesday morning that Matt Eberflus was being retained, a slow trickle of news on who wasn't going to be back with him, and obviously most notably Luke Getze. Then you get to Hellas Hall in the mid-afternoon for two series of press conferences, which, uh, to the Bears' credit, which we requested on our last episode, they took a lot of questions, you know, and allowed us to get a lot of answers. And then the voluminous nature of that makes it really, really um, tiring, but also informative to sort through all that, David. And, and so you're just still kind of kind of swimming out through all the information that was provided today. I think the most notable takeaway for me is that the Bears have made a gigantic leap of faith in Matty Berflus. And they have done so um, with no regret and full confidence and a lot of outside skepticism from the fan base and the media on how this is all going to play out, given their opportunity to potentially reboot across the triumvirate really right like we talked a, a lot about the, the the head coach coordinator quarterback unit and the, the chance to, to fully restart at all of those positions the Bears have opted not to do so and in turn have allowed Matt Eberflus to take a huge swing now at trying to get this thing on the right track and in turn maybe alienated some of their fan base that wanted that fresh start and the longer they deliberated the more people wondered if it could be a Jim Harbaugh, if it could be a Mike Vrabel, if it could be somebody else like an offensive-minded coordinator coming in to be a head coach. That wasn't the case. They reaffirmed their faith uh, in Matt Eberflus, and it was a big leap of faith, as you said. So there's a lot to get through, Dan. How about we do this, since there is some ground we covered, some we haven't. I think in the interest of just getting to everything that we can, we go through <laughs> – we go through some things, you know, kind of uh, bullet points and just your reaction, and, and we can we can get through it that way. I think first question that I would start with is is one I think we've talked about before, but this is a good debate. Which was a bigger story, Matt Eberflus returning or Luke Getzey leaving? Yeah, for me, it's the retention of, of Matt because I think that there it, it was a bit of a fait accompli that the Bears couldn't um, 
stay on the same track offensively and that, that Luke was going to be in trouble. And there seemed to be a little bit more, despite all the uh, public praise that Ryan Poles had been offering in recent weeks and recent days about Matty Bafus' uh, steadiness as a leader, there, there seemed to be some doubt over the last couple of days. And as they went through all the, the meetings and interviews and deliberations inside team headquarters, you weren't sure if Matt was certainly going to be back. And if so, with whom by his side. And so I think that's, that's the biggest one because now, David, th- th- there's so many interesting layers to all of this. And one of them for me is the fact that you are now empowering a head coach who was hired less than two years ago to take over the program, who has seen in this last season alone, seven of his assistants either depart the building or be dismissed and 10 since he was hired that are no longer part of the staff. He now gets full empowerment and, and, and a vote of confidence from his higher ups to make the right decision at a very, very pivotal point in team history. And so that to me is it, it's the, it's the starting point for all of this. Do you think he will be empowered as you say that the general manager in this case, polls, maybe even Kevin Warren, if he wants to meddle some more, do you think that he's going to be, empowered independently to pick the offensive coordinator I, I don't I don't know Dan I mean I think your question was a good one and, and didn't think about it until you put it in those terms seven coaches you know in the last year and 10 and two seasons that's a lot of turnover that's a seven lot in the last four months yeah it, 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 <laughs> those are some some examples of if you wanted to compile it you could make the case against Maddie Reflus's judgment in in coaches and assistants and staffing so I yeah. wonder just how independent the next search will be. It's got to be a collaborative effort. Well, because yes. I wouldn't trust the guy. Certainly Ryan and Matt are going to put their heads together and try to figure this out. And in the story that's currently up at ChicagoTribune.com that I wrote about the coordinator search in general, you have some really unique dynamics at play. I'll give you three of them. Number one, you're telling whoever comes and applies for this job that they are 100% keeping offensive line coach Chris Morgan and tight ends coach Jim Dre. And I've had multiple people from around the league, even this evening, tell me that a lot of times a coordinator wants to be entirely married up with their offensive line coach. That relationship is considered sacred inside a lot of team buildings. And now you are going to be having an arranged marriage, you know, unless you've predetermined that your coordinator has a history with Chris Morgan. And we'll see how that happens. We'll see. We'll, we'll have to do the the search on their, their, their biographies to figure that out. That's one element to this. Number two, you're telling these coordinator applicants that, Hey, by the way, we don't have full clarity on the quarterback position. Yes, we do own the number one pick. And maybe you are intrigued by the possibility of coming in and coaching Caleb Williams, which for a lot of prospective candidates is seen as, Hey, heck yeah, I would like to do that for a year or two and maybe do the Bobby Slowick thing where all of a sudden I go from unknown name to hot head coaching candidate. You know, and so that's a much more appealing gig with Caleb Williams as your quarterback or a rookie that you choose as the cream of the crop than it is trying to reclaim Justin in, you know, year four, which is the latest in the, hey, prove it audition year for Justin Fields. And then the last part of it, David, as you know, is there's uncertainty around the league on what happens if Matty Berflus falls well short of expectations in 2024. Is he on thin ice? And is that thin ice going to break beneath him and put the Bears back in the situation that everyone in the city of Chicago fears, which is having a brand new quarterback, then having to reboot after his first season because they didn't get it right at the head coaching position. I do want to get into some of those Justin Fields points that you made, but I want to ask you this. When you wrote your story and in the Tribune, on ChicagoTribune.com or in the morning, did you come up with a short list of potential candidates? 
Well, yeah, you know, so let me uh, delay as I'm pulling up my my sheet. I, I, we're working on that as we go, and they're obviously it's fluid. It's going to be fluid. And, it's going to be guesswork in and, a lot of ways. Right. Well, and that's so that that's the thing that Colleen Kane and I talked about this afternoon is like the initial spec lists are purely speculative, and so I just want to put that out there initially that, that, that this stuff gets more informed the further you get into the process. But um, as I'm <laughs> pulling this up in my my sheet here, you're going to have you know, Frank Reich's name thrown around because yep. why? Because he's got a history with Matt Eberflus. Uh, you've got, you know, Greg Roman's name is going to get thrown around. Kellen Moore, Daryl Bevel, um, you know, Brian Callahan, it would be a lateral move from him out of Cincinnati. But if you make him, uh, you know, associate head coach and a coordinator who then sees an opportunity to, you know, work with a, a, a young promising rookie quarterback and potentially I'll get into this in a minute, uh, find his own path up the ladder, perhaps even inside Alice hall that might have some appeal. And then uh, in Philadelphia, there's a pass game coordinator named Kevin Petulo, whose name has yep. come up a handful of times. And so um, that's a starting point you know, the list will, will become more informed as we get further into this. And certainly uh, you would expect the bears to be a little bit urgent with their search because the other part of this, David is I believe as of right now, as we're speaking on uh, Wednesday night, it's not Thursday night yet. The number of open head coaching jobs in the NFL is ballooned to seven with Pete Carroll's exit today in Seattle. And so those are all organizations that are going to be searching for both coordinators, just as the bears are now also searching for an offensive and defense coordinator at the same time. So this is more like free agency than a draft for the bears. And they're going to have to be competitive and they're going to have to be urgent. And they're going to have to try to find the candidates that they love the most and make them offers. They can't refuse. Hey everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. So they were very uh, coy, vague, uh, polite, and cordial talking about Justin Fields and his future. Obviously, they need to be blown away, Ryan Pohl said, for the second straight year. Uh, they also said they could see him leading this team. You have to balance it. They did acknowledge the unique situation that they're in. I, I wonder this, Dan, as you know, coaches know and coaches are going to want to know, do you really think that – See, it's in, I, I just don't know how you can conduct a coaching search for an offensive coordinator unless you have declared a lane. And, and here's the reason why, in this case, you almost need to before you hire the wrong guy, because the lanes are very different. One's very, yes. you know, scenic, perhaps, and one's very city. I, not, not that that's, but they're two very di distinctly different paths and quarterbacks. So. I don't know if, say, Greg Roman, if you hire him, that's like, oh, they're keeping Justin Fields because he can do for Justin Fields what, what he did, did for Lamar Jackson and, and, and Colin Kaepernick. And I think, didn't he coach Kaepernick in San Francisco with the Harbaugh, I believe? Um, and so I, I think that's one tell. 
Whereas if you hire somebody else as more traditional or conventional OC, then I think it probably suggests that they're moving on from Justin Fields. And I don't know if they can, they're going to keep this a secret as long as Ryan Poles wants to keep it a secret. Well, you know, a couple things to that point. Number one, our friend Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times asked Matt directly. I thought it was a good question that two years ago when you hired Luke Getze as your coordinator, you said that the Shanahan tree of offenses was something that you identified as a defensive coach that was the hardest to stop. And so uh, that was obviously a preference in 2022 when you became the head coach of the Bears. Is that still a preference? And uh, Matt's answer was, look, like we're going to be open minded. There's not a preferred system anymore. He and Ryan also expressed interest in, in coaches that that can sell themselves as adaptable, able to work with either brand of quarterback and maybe even a third brand of quarterback if you determine that there's multiple guys in the draft that have different styles that are different from each other and different from from Justin. That's also difficult. You know, it, 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 there's maybe a little bit of naivety in thinking that, that that's going to be something that's going to appeal to some of these candidates who may have a very specific thing that they want to do and don't want to join in on a job where there is such ambiguity and vagueness and, and a lack of clarity now for what's going to be the next three months. I did also think it was notable that Ryan, um, a little bit in contrast to a year ago, said that he saw the Justin Fields uh, trade possibility potentially dragging all the way out through April, which means, which means, you know, and I think that's the right thing to do just from the standpoint of you need to do your full complement of homework on the draft class, you know, and, and we talked last spring about how that abruptly ended when the Panthers came with an offer that the bears saw, uh, as, as something that they had to accept. And so then all of a sudden in early March, you, you cut off your, research on the quarterback class, which may have limited your ability to see CJ Stroud as, as a guy who would have been a suitable replacement, which is something that Ryan had to address today. So you can see the layers to all of this, David, that, that make this super complex and why it's going to take us probably a week or longer to sift through everything that was said today and figure out which direction this whole thing is going. Quickly, what do you think about the way he responded to the CJ Stroud question? Because I, I don't know that it was, um, he could have just said, you know, we 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 missed, or he was outstanding. I, I I don't know if he answered that in a way that was the way he probably either rehearsed or expected to, because I, I don't know that it was uh, maybe acceptable. Well, one thing that Mark Potash in that room does really well and is to be commended for is when a question gets blown by and a new topic begins, Mark is very, very good at being like, well, wait a second. Let's go back to that previous topic we were on to which the answer that you gave was not acceptable. And so Ryan's first answer to a question about CJ Stroud was, I'm not going to talk about players who are on other teams. And then the, and then the conversation shifted and Mark, to his credit, came back and said, well, wait a second. Like, this is about what you saw a year ago. This is about should we trust your evaluation skills of quarterbacks as you go into a pivotal offseason where you're going to have to evaluate quarterbacks. And, you know, essentially, Ryan's answer to me boiled down to we saw a package of picks that we felt was more valuable, that allowed us to get DJ Moore, that allowed us to draft Darnell Wright, that allowed us to get Tyree Stevens, that allowed us to have the number one pick for this year, that allowed us to have another draft pick that's still coming uh, down the pipeline. And, and that was just too good to pass up. So it was more uh, the package of, of 
compensation we got from Carolina outweighed anything that we saw in that quarterback. Well, now this is a different, different animal this year. And you know, you still have to be held accountable to the decisions you didn't make as much as you are to the decisions you did, which will also come to the point of Matt Eberflus's retention. You know, that, that, that's something you will be forever judged on. That's a, that's a great explanation. And, and I, and I thought that as well, Mark Potash, he had a good day. You guys, <laughs> I, I thought every question was asked that you could think of, and I do give the Bears credit because we would blame them if they didn't, but they did take all of them, right, Dan? I mean, it, it was pretty exhaustive. Well, I'm looking at my list. There were like three that I didn't get to. Uh, what questions did Tevin Jenkins answer for you this season? Uh, what, in your opinion, was the production falloff for Darnell Mooney? And why was it so dramatic? And what do you still need in the wide receiver core? But other than that, I've got a list here that's it's like 60 questions long. And some way, shape, <laughs> or form, me or my colleagues or others in the room were able to check through this list pretty well. And so that's great. Uh, I, I, I've felt bad missing it. And there were just logistical issues with having a TV commitment at six o'clock and the press conference at three o'clock and knowing traffic between Lake Forest and downtown <laughs> Chicago. I well, think, you also had yourself quite a quite a week of uh, rushing from one thing to the next on, yeah. uh, on the road. We had documented that in our last episode. I know. I, I did not want to insult another worker at McDonald's, so I think I wanted to stay. And I also didn't have uh, VIP parking for you today at House Hall, so that may have contributed to your decision. <laughs> one thing I want to get back to. So all this conversation about who the offensive coordinator is and the alignment with the coach. Uh, and the quarterback and, you know, Flusi could be a lame duck. And there are a lot of things that are, resonate with, with NFL audiences. And I think matter to some degree on NFL staff. But here's the one thing that I think makes all of that potentially moot. And our buddy Brad Biggs writes about that in ChicagoTribune.com, I think tonight, and it'll be in the paper tomorrow. If you believe with conviction and you're the Bears that – the quarterback that you are taking first overall, let's say hypothetically, it is Caleb Williams, that he is that good for you to trade a quarterback who's a capable NFL starter in Justin Fields, but you're going all in and you believe in him. I really think that because you believe in him, you think he's Joe Burrow quality. Andrew Luck he's been compared to. All the things about Caleb Williams. Look, we all could be wrong, but if you're right, and this is the way NFL teams I think sometimes think, if you're right, all these details about length of contract with Flusi and what what you know, coaching tree he comes from and who he's going to hire and how long he's going to stay and all those things become really irrelevant because yes. elite players don't need that kind of co that kind of symmetry. Elite players play at a level that transcends all this other stuff that we spend a lot of time arguing about. Elite players, if Caleb Williams is that elite, well, he's going to make this conversation potentially seem silly uh, six, eight months from now. I don't know that he will. I don't know that he can. But sometimes we do tend to overstate the significance of certain things like alignment and the coaching staff and the, you know, the compatibility between a guy you hire with a coach that might be a lame duck. Sometimes we, we understate the value of having a – uh, transcendent quarterback, you know, and I think that's the point that you're making there. I recall the first yes. time that our buddy Rich Campbell and I ever sat down away from the building with Ryan Pace when he came from New Orleans and talked about just how many wrong decisions are concealed by Drew Brees, you know, and, and that's that's within off seasons, that's within games, it's within everything. And when you have that guy, that ultimate eraser that takes blemishes and 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 you know, 
conceals them and, and, and keeps them out of view, it's a beautiful place to be in as an organization. So that's why this offseason is so pivotal, because if they get the quarterback thing right, all of a sudden the rest of these things will become background chatter and the only spotlight will be on how great is this quarterback? I agree. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I'm not trying to diminish those, those conversations or that analysis. They need to be have, but yeah. No, yeah. I mean, but, but I think, you know, you look at, for instance, I know he hasn't won in the playoffs, but Justin Herbert had a defensive minded head coach. He's had a couple of different offensive coordinators. And I don't think that, um, People are complaining about his progress or development. He's on pace to become the all-time leading passer, I think, in NFL history if he stays healthy for 15 seasons. But that's my point. Not that Caleb Williams is going to be Justin Herbert, but he could be on that tier if he is on that tier because number one quarterbacks drafted first overall tend to be on that track. Then, you know, who's his quarterback coach? Who's his offensive coordinator? Yeah, that's interesting, but it's not the main thing because you finally have a quarterback in Chicago. That is the story. It's the player, not the plays. No question. And so one of the questions I asked Ryan this afternoon was in this next period, this next, you know, three month period where you're going to do your quarterback homework, what is the most important part of this process? And he said, who the person is, you've got to find somebody that will fit in this market that understands how thick your skin has to be to play quarterback in this league, in a city like this, where there's such pressure, where there's such edginess, where there's such, you know, uh, anticipation of, of who's going to be oh, the guy that, that <laughs> yeah. finally, finally becomes the guy. They've got to do that. They've got to do this, this homework. And, and Ryan was very upfront and saying, look, like that requires visiting with the player. It's going to require the bears to visit with these quarterbacks, wherever they're at. It's going to require those quarterbacks coming to visit the bears at house hall. It's going to require visiting the coaches and the teammates and the people that have been around them for years to get a, a true profile of what their wiring is, what they're made of, what their DNA is. And that's a huge, huge homework assignment and a huge responsibility for this organization to undertake so that they can hopefully do what you just said and land a guy that is the answer once and for all, and there will be in some radio studio somewhere at some point, legitimate QB1 balloons that deserve <laughs> to stay. And it could even be confetti in that city. <laughs> Who knows? Could If he passes the confetti test, that would be fun. What do you think about the way that uh, Ryan Poles answered the Harbaugh question? Yeah, I mean, it's the only way you could answer it. He's sitting three feet from the coach that he retained. You don't go on a public stage and talk about a coach who's employed by a university in the big 10 who would have been reached out to replace a guy who was never fired, <laughs> who's sitting right next to you three feet away. So they, ne they never got to a stage of exploring uh, potential head coach successors because they decided to retain the head coach that they have. And there's just no way around that. At least with Matt Eberflus in the room, they didn't pursue those possibilities. <laughs> I do wonder and always will, if they tried to do some back channel research about his, you know, attractability or interest level uh, of Jim Harbaugh. I, I don't, I don't know that they did. I don't know if they didn't. I know they have in the past and then never, it's just, their, their paths have never been aligned. So I, I guess mean, look, right, and then, yeah, some, something that, you know, over months, um, I'm sure the intel will kind of trickle out and you'll know a little bit of, of a better answer to that. But on the public stage today, there's not much you could do to right. show. Oh, yeah, no, we reached out to Jim. He was asking for too much money. So this guy over, <laughs> this guy over here is going to stick around. I mean, <laughs> that's something that would have happened under uh, previous uh, previous shows yeah. on that uh, same stage. Um, 
I want to get to Kevin Warren because he spoke a lot too, and we haven't heard a lot from him. There's two different areas I thought were were interesting or maybe new information. Number one, how he addressed the Allen Williams situation and how um, the Bears have dealt with some of these human resource issues that have resulted in the firing of David Walker and the dismissal or parting of ways with Allen Walker. And the other thing, Dan, uh, while you answer that, I want you to think about the way that he spoke about the stadium project. And I thought re-injected people who want the Bears to stay in Chicago gave him a little bit of hope. I felt like in talking in the way that he did, maybe he was creating leverage. Maybe he was trying to say uh, something that was, you know, pre-planned and, and political, but he clearly has an affection for Chicago and a desire to explore every option and exhaust every possibility before moving to, to Arlington Heights. I'm going to take that second question first, because it was like, you know, you sat through 50 minutes of Q&A, well, 35 minutes of Q&A and a long opening statement by Matt Eberflus that a lot of us thought was never going to end. Uh, and then Kevin Warren <laughs> took the stage and, and you were like, oh, yeah, there's a massive stadium project that we've done no talking about. And this is the man overseeing it who's been also overseeing the football side of things for the last few days. And we have to get a, a bunch of questions in on the state of the stadium project. Kevin certainly left the door open for the imagination of having a, a stadium somewhere in the city. I think his um, desire to dream big and imagine that the, the grandest things always kind of gives him that, that, that vision of a skyline. There is no skyline in Arlington Heights. Could you do something sweet out there? Absolutely. I think that's still probably a major priority for the bears to try to figure out what on, as he said, 326 acres of land you can do to build your own fantasy land, but it won't have that sort of signature iconic nature that downtown Chicago will always have and always has had. If you could replace the current, I almost said dump of a stadium, the current stadium that they have on the lakefront with something that's as majestic as some of these new palaces that have opened around the league. You think about like, that's, that, that's how Kevin thinks it's the grandest of the grand. That would be really cool. Now, logistically, how the heck do you make that happen? Where's the plot of land that's going to put you in the right, um, domain to do that but certainly in his comments there was a lot of okay like this doesn't feel like it's arlington heights and arlington heights only and all this other stuff is posturing it felt like there was a a dreamer on that stage still not ready to close the door on a dream he has okay it's interesting i, I have thoughts on that but i want to get to the ellen williams thing uh, before i respond to that what did you think about the way he handled the uh the question about the assistant coaches how do you feel about that because it was one of those things that i felt went really quickly um and and really it didn't uh, he know, lawyered up he, he even acknowledged he, he said, even said, yeah, said it i'm gonna start. put my lawyer hat on and i think that he was trying to be very respectful of the former employee ellen williams and what may or may not have happened. I, I thought that was interesting to me or stood out because that almost reflex to do that outweighed any disappointment or came across stronger than any disappointment he might have had in an employee that let him down and what that said about the culture that they bragged about. I, I felt like there was, I don't want to say an insincerity, but there was, uh, it was calculated. And I felt like he did talk like, that's, he sounded like a lawyer. And I wanted him to sound like an executive who uh, w was maybe let down by an employee and and was able to move on from that with his head coach, who's ultimately responsible for his staff. 
I didn't have a strong emotional reaction to it. And probably in part because there was just so much other stuff yeah. that was coming down the mountain, you know, with the, with the avalanche of information that came out there today. I understand where you're coming from. Kevin's title is president and CEO. And sometimes presidents and CEOs have to take that very corporate speaky nature to complex matters. Um, so that's one look like th- that situation is so significant in so many ways, because number one, there are a lot of people still trying to unravel details that can then be shared publicly. And number two, you have a situation where the bears are again, searching for two coordinators at once because they had to dismiss one in season. And then the current head coach had to take on those responsibilities. And it sounds like, I think you probably would agree with this after listening today. It sounds like Matty Berflus's intent on retaining the play calling roles that he had this uh, second half of this past season, and then trying to court a defensive coordinator that is willing to allow him to have those responsibilities. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting as well, because you, you, you're still in the, the, the search for a replacement for a guy who was uh, dismissed or, or walked out, resigned, I guess, was the official uh, word. That's why I think it'll either be somebody on staff who is familiar with the history and also would take a, nominal title you know something that would be almost like uh, a bump in pay or promotion without necessarily the the responsibilities that come with defensive coordinator or somebody who might be an assistant head coach and in that kind of role it's hard to say but i don't think that you want matt eberflus returning as a head coach uh for the biggest reason to keep the defensive momentum alive and then not call the plays because if it's that different you want him to do that and lean into his strength um so that, that was interesting. So anything else that we have? I know we touched on a lot of different ground. Anything else you wanted to at least point out before I have like a big picture kind of uh, uh, thought for you? Um, I, I'll say this, and we, we talked about this before all these decisions became public this morning about how the Bears have so consistently in their history celebrated how good their airbags work. You know, and we've used that analogy previously on – the podcast and elsewhere and and talking about like that, that's just such a selling point for them is that when, when the vehicle crashes, you're going to have a, a a really pleasant crash, you know, and and that's what they celebrate so often in their own words today, you know, Ryan Poles asked about Matt Eberflus as his, as his hand selected leader to take them to the championships, praised him for not jumping off the side of the boat when the storms got choppy. You know, and, and, and you're like, okay, like that's, that's a thing. Like not jumping off the boat is, is suddenly a, a a character strength. Okay, fine. It may be, but is that the most important character strength that you want in your head coach? Or do you want somebody that is going to steer the boat to a desired destination and that everybody gets off and goes, thanks captain. That was a, a heck of a ride. And I'm glad we're here where we're at right now. So that's one part of it. And then Kevin Warren followed. And when I asked him directly, Aside from all the culture things that everyone is praising here and propping up the, the the unity in the locker room and the fact that there is cohesion and chemistry and all those things, what do you believe was accomplished here in the 2023 season? And his answer was essentially, we went through crisis this year, and that was propped up as an accomplishment. I, I just kind of sat back in my chair and said, man, that was like something that you would have heard from Ted Phillips, and it would have been played over and over. And it just I, – I, I that one – I don't want to say bothered me, but it was just kind of like, man, like there's got to be something more at some point. If we're going to talk passionately, if we're going to talk genuinely, if we're going to talk sincerely about raising the bar, then let's stop celebrating crisis management as the best thing we do. 
I think on Football Night in Chicago, you used the term Ted Phillips-esque <laughs> in describing that comment. I'll remind you of that. That was earlier this evening, not this morning. Yeah, when was that? was that? Was that in December? Yeah. I don't even know so, anymore. So that's well put, Dan. And, and I think that relates to kind of what my overall takeaway was maybe um, when you look in the, as the Bears in general. Like when Kevin Warren took the job, I, I think we all were very complimentary and kind of excited about it being a new day. And I think for the year that he's been on the job, he's been consistent with always talking about the dreams that he has and building the best stadium ever and his lofty rhetoric. But you wanted to give him a chance and you wanted to believe in something because it's been so long in Chicago when you're following the Bears that you've been something to believe in. I felt like today for me was a little disappointing because of that. I feel like I... You know, I, I wasn't one of those guys that Matt Eberflus has to be fired uh, because he because I don't like the way he talks. And Matt Eberflus has to be fired because he's got, you know, all 10, 10, uh, only 10 wins in two, two seasons. I actually like Matt Eberflus and respect a lot of things he is as a head football coach. They could have justified firing him today and they could have done a better job, I think, of uh, defending why they didn't. Uh, and I guess to get that back to the Warren point. This, this isn't just about Matt Eberflus. When he talks like he talks, what he did today didn't back it up. What, what they did in retaining a coach uh, based on culture and you know not jumping from the boat and all the things that they cited and the way they explained it, I think for me it was a, a, a good check because maybe we have gotten carried away with some of the things about you know, what Warren's impact would have. And this isn't markedly different from many past years. You know, I've always been uncomfortable from Ted Phillips to um, Kevin Warren. And you go back a couple of GMs ago, I've always been uncomfortable with the Hallis Hall, the way that they take credit for persevering through adversity they created for themselves. They always forget the part that they created it for themselves. Right. And I think today there was that uh, convenient amnesia again that I thought that Kevin Warren wasn't going to be a part of. So maybe a little disappointed and and certainly not inspired. I think the Bears are in a situation, as you have pointed out so well, it's an exciting offseason. They're on the verge of possibly something special if they play it right. I didn't necessarily hear that today. I heard a little bit of a defensive posture, maybe not a fully uh, uh, energetic charismatic way of explaining where you are and where you're headed. And from Kevin Warren, it was a little bit of empty rhetoric only because I expected more. If you're going to sound that ambitious, back it up. Well, as I said to you on football night in Chicago, the rhetoric has to be followed by results. Otherwise it gets popped like a birthday party balloon. You know, you stick a pin in it and a poof, it's all gone. So you have to produce results and the results have to be shown in the 2024 season. I had a conversation with Ryan Poles not long after he became the general manager two years ago about how he wasn't going to be afforded the benefit of the doubt that he probably deserved because the organization he was joining had squandered the benefit of the doubt in the, the uh, amongst the public masses, you know? And, and so it's not his fault that so many of his predecessors uh, stepped on the banana peel and fell down the open manhole, but it, it is the environment that he's walking into. And I think it's similar for Kevin. I think you've talked to me enough about Kevin Warren's mindset and Kevin Warren's wiring to know that, that he isn't somebody that, settles for mediocrity he isn't somebody that takes the pursuit of excellence with a shrug and says close enough when things are not close enough but today's proceedings didn't 
vocalize that emphatically enough to the masses to convince people that the course that they chose to stay on is the right one. And so now you're going to have to spend time continuing to sell that, continuing to show actions and results that, that convince people you're on the right track. And one of the things that Kevin consistently came back to today was his experience in St. Louis and the Rams organization and how he was a part of two, you know, double digit loss seasons right before the Rams hit their springboard and went to the Super Bowl. Okay. Like that experience informs your perspective and it gives you an opportunity to have those conversations with Matty Revluce and Ryan Poles and, and have the patience level of understanding that sometimes staying the course is actually the right path at the same time it's a big leap of faith to convince the entire Chicago audience that this is going to be the early 2000s Rams, you know, and, and like <laughs> right. it, it really is, you know, now to Brad's point that you mentioned earlier, if you get your version of Kurt Warner and it's a hall of fame level quarterback that then skyrockets with, with a bunch of really good supporting cast members around him, Well, then maybe we are talking about it, that this analogy completely fits and it works. And that's, that's what they saw. Um, but I, it's understandable why that's an incredibly tough sell to the fans and the audience of an organization that has sat through 30 plus years of consistent mediocrity, unsustained success and constant frustration. And they go, okay, dude, like show me the results. Like, I don't want to hear all of the, the, the rhetoric. We'll sift through all of the rhetoric as we continue this off season, there will be plenty of more talk and plenty more stuff to talk about. Dan, I think it's been a long day. We've talked a lot about the highlights, and I think that there's probably more stuff to come. As you said, there's a lot to process as well when you talk for two hours at Hallis Hall. But I think uh, I think we covered it all. Yeah, I, th- I think the last thing I'll say is what I said to you on Football Night in Chicago, that is as easy as it is to get caught up and become a prisoner of the moment in today's developments, that the, the Bears are still sitting at the doorstep of something that they control here. Number one overall draft pick, another draft pick in the top 10, healthy cap room, a young and talented roster that has a core nucleus of people that can become the catalyst of championship success. You just have a a four-month period now of significant decisions that you have to get right to propel yourself out of this middle tier and into the bottom tier of the upper tier, (laughs) if that makes sense, or the bottom level of the upper tier. And we just shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this is an opportunity-filled stretch for the Chicago Bears. Now it's up to the guys that spoke today to make all the right decisions, starting first with the coordinator hire uh, on offense, starting next with the the quarterback decision, continuing on from there with how you put together your 2024 team. But uh, again, I just I just think that they're on the doorstep of something that we've been asking for forever, and now we just wait and see what these next series of decisions are. And we'll keep track of those decisions right here on the Take the North podcast and your free Odyssey app, where you can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. For Dan Weeder and Adam Sadzinski, I'm David Hoff on the Mullen Haw Show. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.